Hello and welcome to a new episode of Museums Up, a series of podcasts from the Reinherit Project, a smart tool that provides you with current issues related to cultural heritage management, digital innovation, and sustainability in museums. The Reinherit Project is funded from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under Grant Agreement No. 101-004-545. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Jaime Lopez from Arte Sostenible, and you are listening to a new episode of Museums Up, a series of podcasts for the Reinherit Project. Beyond the Exhibit, Unlocking the Power of Museum Participation is the title of this episode. And to talk about this topic, I have invited Professor Dr. Emily Citria, Special Chair at the University of Amsterdam an Associate Professor of Cultural Education at the University of Maastricht. Emily's research focuses on museum participatory practices, the effects of art and audiences, interdisciplinary studies of world and images, and digital and sensory education. Hi, Emily, and welcome to Museum SAC. Hi, thank you for having me. How do museums incorporate participatory practices to engage visitors and encourage their active involvement in the exhibition experience? Well, first, it's important to understand that participatory practice is an umbrella term that covers a great variety of practices. And each type of practice triggers a different kind of audience involvement and a different kind of audience experience. So we can identify the strategies in some sort of typology, if you want. Um, at the very kind of basic uh, participation is attendance. And that's what policymakers and marketing department often understand as participation. So that's, uh, and, and there's an argument to say whether or not it's participation, but at least it's, it, it's part of that kind of understanding. Then you have contribution and consultation. And that's where uh, the, in an institution is looking for contribution from a specific uh, part of the part of society, a specific um, community and consults with them. Then you have another step, which is more collaboration, where really um, the institution and the participants are on an equal footing. You have also co-creation of meaning and interpretation of works, and that's uh, another type of participation. You have co-creation of artworks or events, which is again another type of participation. And this goes all the way to co-curation, where you really have institutions that work hand in hand uh, with participants to, to curate uh, exhibition. So not every institution structures and collections allow for all these types of participation to take place in all institutions. So it's important for institutions to discuss what their aim is, how they want to define participation, what kind of participation they want and with whom, and more importantly, what is feasible within the existing boundaries of the institution. And of course, if these boundaries can be expanded to allow for new forms of participatory practices. So in what ways can participatory practices in museums enhance the visitor's learning experience and foster a sense of ownership and connection to the museum's collection? Now that's a really nice question, but first we need to define a little bit what learning experience means in a museum, because very often we think of learning of the in the museum as co just cognitive learning, right? Learning 
artworks, uh, names and dates and movements on facts and figures. But actually in a museum, you also have a lot of affective learning that takes place. Uh, so learning what to value, what's important for us. Uh, psychomotor learning, so learning to move around the artworks without knocking them out. Um, and a lot of social learning, learning to talk about artworks, share and be together. Uh, and of course, a whole bunch of skills that goes with that. So uh, the strategies for developing participatory practices will be very different if my aim is to foster just cognitive learning or if I aim at social learning. And it's rarely one or the other. They often are intertwined, but there's always an emphasis and that changes the nature of the participatory practice. So then I think there, are, there has to be uh, some pre-existing conditions for learning to take place. And first one and the most essential one is the institution needs to respect its audiences. And I think uh, that that's something that's at the core, I think, of learning. And then the second thing that I think uh, needs to happen when you're wanting to, to engage audiences is to give it to audience agency. By agency, I mean the capacity for audiences to determine their own uh, intentions, their own action and the output that they want to put together. And the more agency there is, the deeper uh, it takes place. So with respect, you create the connection to the museum as an institution, but it's giving agency to audience, it's a sense of ownership. Because if you have agency in the meaning making, in the creating of the collection, you will necessarily have a sense of ownership of that collection and then a deeper connection to the museum. But uh, once all these are in place and the aims are clear for the institution, I think uh, museums have a great role to play, actually. Uh, first, because I believe, uh, like Wenger, that, uh, and I quote, learning is a process of identity formation that is becoming a different person rather than primarily the acquisition of knowledge products. And if you believe that, then you also believe that learning can lead to emancipation uh, of an individual uh, like Ronciere uh, states and empowerment of communities uh, like Paulo Freire has been um, developing. Good. And the last question. Could you recommend some successful example of participatory practices in museums that have effectively encouraged visitors to interact with the museum collection and connect with its mission and values? Absolutely. So recently, uh, uh, Guillaume Ducongé brought to my attention a participatory practice that I really like, uh, that was uh, made by AudioVisit and uh, Magval in uh, Vitry-sur-Seine in France. And what they did is that they questioned languages in the museum beyond just the standard French and English audio guides. They wanted to engage the local population and the local population is of very diverse origin with various mother tongues. So they decided to develop an audio guide in a participatory way with the local public, with people from Brazil, from Congo, from Madagascar, from Chad, from Sudan, having them kind of um, uh, work on audio, audio guides. And they first did workshops to look at the works and discuss the existing text and, and also criticize the existing texts, how, you know, how people could relate to them, to share stories and memories around the kind of works and to negotiate the meaning of the artworks through this kind of language translation, because a translation is always an adaptation of the content and there's always personal stories that come into play. And so they did this whole work with the participants to um, to kind of transfer and adapt the content of the audio guide to uh, two different languages, two languages from Brazil, Congo, Madagascar, Chad, Sudan, etc. And they then uh, recorded the translation 
to give a voice uh, of those, to give the voice of those participants in the output. And I think you have here all the ingredients I was telling you about, the respect for the expertise of the participant, the agency, so the decision to take part, the decision to, uh, to, to, the, 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 to, to be part of that kind of production and that co-creation of meaning we were talking about. So I think that's, that's one good example. And if I have time, I have another example, if you want. Well, okay, if you are, it's a brief uh, sample, you can talk about it, yeah. All right, so I'll give you another brief example. And this one is uh, I really like also. It's from the Musée d'Histoire de la Ville de Marseille, in France also. Um, in, 2000, in 2018, uh, some building collapsed in Rue d'Aubagne, and it was a big scandal in France because uh, it was because of those buildings were so old and not taken care of. And what happened is that 4,500 people um, were uh, expelled from their home and they were locked out from their home. And the chains that the government used to lock the doors became a symbol of the heartless administration. And, and just to say, many of those people are still in temporary housing. But they wanted to tell their story and to make it visible and make it part of the city's heritage. So an association called Noir Debout uh, started a procession to the museum to bring those chains and for those chains to be put in the collection. And there was a very courageous move from the institution and the director, uh, Fabrice Denise, to actually take in those chains and to pursue uh, that project with the uh, local population. So he started uh, collecting stories, objects, devising ways to transmit these stories uh, with all these multiple voices in the exhibition spaces. So here you have a really good example, of, first of a bottom-up approach um, and also of a very deep sense of ownership and using the, the museum and participatory practices for the empowerment of, uh, of a community. Very, very interesting sample, Emily. Thank you very much for your input. Thank you for having me. We hope this episode has provided you with valuable information about museums and participatory practices. Thanks for listening to Museums Up, a podcast for the Reinherit Project, and stay tuned for the next episode. We inherit redefining the future of cultural heritage. For more information about the Reinherit project, go to reinherit.eu and check our social channels. Reinherit, make it your own.